And so Paul spoke, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, as we gathered together virtually via Zoom, or as you listened to the sermon sometime during the week, we talked about the first half of Romans chapter 7, one of the simplest chapters in terms of just reading the language, and yet one of the most profound theologically, one that has often tied theologians and pastors and Christians in knots trying to understand how it can be that this greatest of all the apostles, the missionary sent out across the Mediterranean, could possibly say that the good that he wishes to do, he does not do, and that the evil he does not wish to do, that's what he keeps on doing. In the first half of Romans 7, we talked about how the fence of the law might have restrained our poorer impulses, but did nothing to rid us of the fear and anger toward the God who fenced us in. But it is Jesus, through his cross, who takes down the fence of the law and places himself once more in the middle of God's people to be our teacher and redeemer, our savior and our friend. So now Paul doubles down and asks that great Lutheran question, what does this mean? What does it mean for us who find that there is a battle raging on within us, that we look at what God commands, what God desires, and says it is good, and yet we find ourselves daily, sometimes hourly, not doing these things? What does that mean for our life as Christians? And that is the crux no pun intended, the cross at the middle of Paul's words today. But first, let's go back to the gospel reading, because this is going to give some insight into what Paul means in these latter half of Romans chapter 7. Jesus says this profound statement, I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have not revealed these things to the wise, to the understanding, but to little children. The little ones who aren't burdened by all of the knowledge of the world and all of the ways of the world, but simply trust in their Heavenly Father. And then he says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, for most people in our day and age, the first thing you think of when you think of a yoke is what's in the middle of the egg, the thing that you have for breakfast. But people familiar with agriculture and how things used to work in the past know a yoke as that device that hooks an animal to a plow or chariot or some other device or hooks two animals together in order to perform some kind of work. Now, a bad yoke is one that doesn't properly attach to the animal so that they find themselves struggling to do something that otherwise might have been easy, or that links them to another animal such that they are not pulling equally. That one cow is doing all of the work while the other cow gets to kind of freeload. 
it doesn't actually have to worry about the work that they're being called on to do. A bad yoke makes your life miserable and makes what should have been a relatively easy job very, very hard. Now, most of us who are not little children, who are the quote-unquote wise and understanding, know a little bit about Buddhist koans, like the most famous one, what is the sound of one hand clapping? Well, it's such a difficult thing to contemplate because we don't imagine ever seeing one hand clapping. Does it make this sound, as Homer Simpson said on The Simpsons? No, to make a sound, you need a other hand. So in quite the same way, Jesus' words are a bit like a koan. Take my yoke upon you. Maybe emphasizing the words that way gives you an idea of what I'm talking about. Well, if Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, then the implication is that there is an other yoke that the yoke that the people are laboring under right now is not as good as the one Jesus would prefer to give them. It's kind of like when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The implication being that there are bad shepherds out there that you want to get yourself out from underneath. Which brings us back to Paul. Because what Paul found as a Pharisee was that he was laboring under the other yoke that was not the light, unburdensome yoke that Jesus wanted to share with the people. Paul was laboring under the yoke of his very own sinful flesh, Satan's yoke, sin's yoke. And he found that pulling the plow of the law was getting to be impossible. I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right. I know that I'm hooked up to the yoke, but not the ability to carry it out because the yoke is a bad one. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You and I too often experience that bad yoke in our lives. And we know what it's like to labor underneath that bad yoke pulling us in directions where we do not want to go, pushing us into situations where we do not want to be, pushing back against us when there's a place where we know we ought to be and a thing that we ought to be doing. And we find ourselves struggling against the wind and against the current at every step. We find that we are yoked to a master that doesn't want to pull his weight and rather pulls against us. And what or who will deliver us from this yoke? From, as Paul puts it, this body of death. Thanks be to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Because Jesus yokes himself to our sinful flesh. He takes on the burden in that yoke of pulling us where we need to be, of pushing us to go where we need to go, even when our flesh doesn't want to. By the spirit that Jesus has caused to dwell in us, we find ourselves, after the fact, having done the very thing that Jesus wanted us to do, even while at the time we might not have wanted to do it. It's Zechariah the prophet who testifies to how Jesus gives us this yoke 
I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off. My servant shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. I will cut off the bad yokes from my people and deliver them myself. This humble king comes to us, prisoners of hope, laboring under these bad yokes and sets us free. Those of us who are prisoners of hope, looking for a deliverer, looking for somebody who would come and speak peace and announce joy, and he comes and breaks the bonds of fear of death and fear of judgment. That is how Jesus takes away the evil yoke of our flesh and of Satan and instead yokes us to himself that he might carry us forever. When the Reformation was raging across Germany and eventually would spread to Europe, it was driven in no small part by pastoral concerns. It wasn't an obtuse theological argument. There were people who were called upon to shepherd the people of God who saw that their church was, instead of giving them the light yoke of Jesus, burdening them back under the heavy yoke of sin and Satan and oppression. And so at the Council of Worms, where Luther was called before the council to testify to what he was written, he was asked to take back the works that he had written about the gospel. And one of the most profound things he said was not, hey, I can't do that because I've reasoned very logically, and these are really good papers because the words that I strung together are really pleasing to the ear. He said, through the laws of the Pope and the doctrines of men, the consciences of the faithful have been miserably vexed and flayed. If I recant these books... I will do nothing but add strength to tyranny and open not just the windows, but also the doors to this great ungodliness. The ungodliness that Luther was talking about was the yoke, the burden of sin that was not being lifted from the people through Christ. Now, the theological terms that came to flow out of this Reformation were justification and sanctification. And those are big words that, honestly, most of us will never see on a billboard in the metro. We're not going to see them in a magazine that we pick up downtown. But we might, in our day and age, translate them in a way that would make them incredibly relevant to the period that we are going through as people of God right now. Justification. It's about who we are towards God. We are justified by grace through faith in Christ by the power of the Spirit, is what we proclaim. And the same Spirit that leads where we ought to go and stops us from going where we ought not is what we call sanctification. But you could also use the words identity and action. And right now, are we not in a crisis of identity? Who are we? What generation do we belong to? What is our race? Are we oppressor or oppressed? Are we victim or people in power? 
We are desperately trying to figure out who we are so that we might have a sense of what it means to be in this world. Our identity is not the flesh that wants us to break the law of God at every turn. And if we try and find our identity in that flesh, we will find ourselves spiraling deeper and deeper into the hole that Paul found himself in. The good that I want to do and I keep trying to do, I'm not doing. And the evil that I do not want to do and that I want to stop and that I want to cleanse society of, I find that it's alive and well even in me who wants to do the right thing and see good being done. Our identity as Christians, our justification is our death in baptism into Christ Jesus and our resurrection with him from the tomb. Our identity is as those little children that Jesus talked about in the gospel. Our identity is the prisoners of hope that the prophets spoke about who have now been set free. And as children of God, our Father is teaching us how to live with one another, how to bear one another's burdens, because just as we are yoked to Jesus, we are now by extension yoked to each other, pulling with each other, pushing away from evil with each other, bearing one another's burdens, sympathizing with one another's struggles, and learning to say, as we used to as Christians, there but for the grace of God go I, because there is no good within me. The good that is being done is being done through Christ by the Spirit in the grace of God. Jesus' yoke ties us to God, not as slaves to a master or cattle to a cart, but as children to their heavenly Father. Jesus yokes us to each other, not as co-workers or colleagues or acquaintances, but as friends and more than that, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Paul says, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death, from this yoke that I cannot lift myself out from under? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Which is why we can sing when we are able to sing again with the old hymn writer, Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Thou wilt find a solace there. For Jesus' yoke is easy, and his burden is light, and in him you will find rest for your war-torn soul. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.